This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello and welcome to Business Beyond Bazaar, a podcast that will take you off the beaten path, introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. Let's expand our vocabulary. Here's a word you might not know, indlovu. According to the Dictionary of South African English, indlovu is the word for elephant. The elephant features as the centerpiece of the Zulu coat of arms. Its Zulu name, Indlovu, is traditionally an honorary title for kings. It's now also the name of a brand of South African gin, created by Les Ansley and his wife, that makes its alcohol from a very interesting source. Did you know that elephants only digest 30% of the food that they eat? So do the math. That means whatever these five-ton creatures ingest, 70% of it comes out of the back end. Now, you might say, that's just a load of crap. But for Les Ansley, that byproduct is pure gold. So let's get to the bottom of this and learn their origin story. My wife's English. I'm South African. We were living in the UK and we had been there for 17 years and had our kids there and, and they were growing up. And about four years ago, we just wanted them to have some experience in South Africa because that's what I grew up with. And I would have been sad if they hadn't. And Paula had lived here for a while, so she, she knew what it was like. And so we decided to make the move. We moved across to a lovely area in, in South Africa, in the, in the Winelands, and the, the kids settled down very well. And Paula had an opportunity to go up to Kenya and meet her mom in Kenya. And they went on, on safaris and did, you know, the real traditional safari type where you sit around waterholes drinking GNTs and, and watching the elephants and the antelope and, and the like come down to the waterhole in the evenings. And then shortly after that, we took our kids on their first ever safari to a, a little game reserve up the road for quite near us called Botlier's Cop. And we were out on a, on a game walk with a ranger and he was explaining elephants to us. And he was describing why they eat so many hours of the day so they they these huge creatures four and a half tons five tons but they have incredibly poor uh, nutrient extraction from their food so they actually only absorb about 30 percent of what they eat which means in order to sustain them they have to eat for 18 and, and 20 odd hours and their role in the bush is really bush clearance so in in a balanced eco environment they look after the encroaching bush and, and the like. And he was just explaining how versatile their trunk is and how it's able to reach all the fruits and the, and the berries and the, and the bark and the leaves that other animals are unable to reach. We came home from that, a uh, lovely experience. And I don't know, it must have been several weeks later, Paula gives me a sharp elbow in my back at, at about six o'clock in the morning. And she looks at me and she said, do you think we could make elephant dung gin? And that was it. That was that was the moment. Um, and I said, sure, let's explore it. Yeah, you're probably thinking that your pillow talk and their pillow talk is completely different. I think that comes from, uh, we were both in, in the sciences. We were both researchers in the UK. And so our 
entire career had been coming up with ideas and then testing them. I was in physiology, Paula was in immunology. I think it was just that uh, thing of, wow, that's an interesting question. Let's explore further. Let's test this hypothesis. I know. To most of us, this doesn't sound like an idea one would come up with about gin. It sounds more like an idea one would come up with while they're on gin. And certainly not at six o'clock in the morning. But basically, their hypothesis was, why not extract the nutrients from the elephant dung to turn those nutrients into a tasty alcoholic beverage? So we let the elephants do all the hard work for us. So they select all the plants or all the fruits or the wonderful botanicals in the bush. And then they, they conveniently leave it for us on the felt floor. And we go and we collect it and we wash it and we dry it. And then we infuse it into our gin. Business types will often tell you that it can be financially prudent to eliminate the middleman. So why not get the botanicals directly from the source, as opposed to from a pachyderm posterior? I'm not sure we would get the varietal of botanicals if you went out into the bush and did it yourself. Plus, it, what we've done with the gin, so we, our gin, with our gin, we, we donate 15% back to wildlife conservation. We, we, we give it to the Hutchbrate Elephant uh, Rehabilitation and Development Center up in Jabolani in Limpopo. They have elephant orphanage there. And so what, what we've created is this, uh, I guess, the circle where the elephants choose the botanicals, we collect the botanicals, and we make the gin, we sell the gin, and then money goes back to the elephants who then collect the botanicals. And so it's this, uh, it's this little virtuous circle, I always, uh, always imagine. If you're doing this literally on the back end, uh, where <laughs> you're, you're collecting the nutrients after the elephants digest it, yes. would it be fair to say that... There could be a different taste from bottle to bottle, depending upon which nutrients that particular Abs elephant ate. Sure, absolutely. And and in, there'll be regional differences. There'll be seasonal differences because of the botanicals available to the elephant. Absolutely. Which is part of the uniqueness of the gin. So how does this gin taste compared to regular non-dung varieties? It's an, an earthy, smoky, almost a deep flavor, with, which leaves a lovely buttery sensation in your mouth. So imagine coffee and dark chocolate and orange. So those sorts of flavor profiles is, is where it sits very, very nicely. I'm thinking earthy is a bit of an understatement. Anyway, it's one thing to have this idea, but it's another thing to know what to do to follow through with it. When Paula had this idea and I said to her, let's run with it, we contacted Bodleia's Cop because the first thing we needed to do was get some elephant dung. Um, and so we contacted the game reserve we'd just been to and we said to them, uh, do you mind sending us a dollop of elephant dung? And this is the beauty of South Africa. They just said, sure. How would you like us to mail it to you? No one thought we were mad. No, no one thought it was a strange question. It was just like, yeah, sure. How would you like it mailed? And so they sent it down to us. And then we, we had to figure out how to how to wash it and, and clean it. And then we're sitting with this. It's an amazing botanicals. And, you know, you because they're so poor at absorbing anything, you get flowers and whole leaves. And it's incredible. And we sit there and we think, oh, okay, well, we got this far. How do we make gin? There's something neither of us had done before. And a friend of ours said to us, look, why don't you go and see this chap? His, his name's Roger Jorgensen. And he is basically the, the grandfather of craft gin in South Africa. He really was what started the whole craze. And so Paula took the botanicals across to Roger and said, Roger, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what this is. I would just like 
your opinion on whether we can make gin from it. And Roger took a, a small handful and he, and he smelt it and then he ate some. And he goes, oh, absolutely, what is it? And Paula said, it's elephant duck. And his face just lit up. He said, this is superb. He said, I will help you from now until you get it bottled. If someone told me when I asked, what am I eating? And they said, elephant dung, my eyes would light up too. But the first thing out of my mouth wouldn't have been superb. Actually, the first thing out of my mouth would have been elephant dung. But different strokes for different folks. Anyway, when it comes to production, what kind of yield ratio are we talking about here? Each elephant produces about 80 kilos of dung a day, roughly. It's a great resource that we're never going to run out of here. Usually we go up and collect four or five big bags that weigh maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 kilos. So 40 odd pounds, I guess. And then that will last us several bottling runs. And, th and that's one of the perks of the job, of course, is that it is then necessary for us to go and visit a game reserve again and see these majestic creatures and uh, and go for game drives and, and collect dung. Inglovu Gin started in 2018. Did they think back then that they would be successful with their unique brand? When we started, we had no idea really what we would do. It was one of those things. We, we were so busy in the moment of making it and the idea. And then, and then I remember that point in time where we'd bottled our first batch and we looked up and we thought, oh, wow, what are we going to do with this now? We've got a thousand bottles or 1200 bottles here. How are we going to sell it? Who's going to buy it? And, and we were very worried about how it'd be seen or viewed. And Roger said, look, why don't you give it to Sarita, who was a, a very um, influential gin blogger? And he said, she is honest. So if she doesn't like it, she is going to tell you she doesn't like it. But if she does like it, you know it's a good gin. And so with trepidation, we handed over two of our babies to her. Then just before Christmas, we, we got a note from her. Um, saying, love the gin, look out for my blog. And she named it as one of the top five gins of the of the year. So from that point on, then we thought, okay, we've got a good product. I mean, it's a, it's a novel idea, but it's a good product. And it's got a story. And when the story got out, their gin was a success. They had sales in the United States, Canada, Germany, Switzerland, Japan, and Taiwan, just to name a few. And all of this during the height of COVID. There's a funny story with that as well. The original gin was doing so well, we thought, okay, well, let's make perhaps a gin for someone who's not quite adventure as adventurous as that person who would drink the elephant and gin, but wants to experience a little bit of Africa and, and be part of the story. So in March of 2019, we launched our second gin, which is the Inlovo Pink, which is made from prickly pear and vanilla. And we chose prickly pear because it's one of the elephant's favorite foods. They, they love prickly pear. We launched that in March. 2020 and wham we got nailed with lockdown in april 2020 and then we had no gin sales or no alcohol sales in south africa for five months we weren't allowed to sell any alcohol or, or produce it so we sat twiddling our thumbs and then we thought well let's come up with another gin we got all this time on our hands and so we developed another gin uh which was our indlovu citrus which is made from orange amarilla again two fruits that the elephants just love and we launched that November 2020. And bam, December 2020, we get another hard lockdown where we're not allowed any alcohol sales for, <laughs> for a couple of months. And so we decided for the sake of the country, uh, we are not going to bring out any more um, expressions because we, we just don't want to have another hard lockdown. It's been tough trading. But as we emerge into whatever this post-COVID new normal will be, things are looking up for the happy gin-making couple. 
Gone are the days when friends and family would look at them askew for their revolutionary ideas. There were a few raised eyebrows, but Paula comes from a very entrepreneurial family. Her, her dad, he started a business in his 20s and he did very well, And but he's always had his fingers in other things and he loved craziness. Unfortunately, he wasn't allowed to see this, but it's certainly something he would have wholeheartedly approved of. My family was a, perhaps a little more skeptical, but they've been won over. They can see that it's actually worked. Those who are familiar with the down-under taste of Marmite would understand that in Lovu Jin is an acquired taste. And the advert that they used to run in the UK realized this and they said, Marmite, you love it or you hate it. You know, that's what we perhaps found with a, lo a lot of people. There are not many people who sit on the fence. Either they go, oh, that's an amazing idea. I can't wait to try it. Or they go, oh, I'd never try it. There's not a lot of people in the middle of it going, meh. But I think the fact that it, it generates those extremes, of not extremes, but, you know, those, those emotions, I think that's what's so interesting. And that's what makes it interesting for people, even if they don't like the idea. They look at it and go, and it's a kick of an emotion. Okay, I have to ask one slightly delicate question. When we think of the waste product that comes out of us, depending upon what we eat, there can be different, shall we say, consistencies. Is this a problem when collecting elephant dung? No, so elephants don't eat milk. They don't eat meat, which are the two things that really affect our, I guess, byproduct. So they eat a lot of roughage and they have a very quick gut transit time. And they're hind, hind gut fermenters, so they're not like cows where they ruminate and send around seven stomachs. So there are actually very few animals that you could make a product like this from. And, and people often ask us, why didn't you make it from other animals? So other animals that have very similar digestive tracts and, and speeds, etc., are the rhinos. But the white rhino only grazes grass and so would be effectively be making a gin out of a, a lawnmower what you trim it you know trimmings which wouldn't be the most exciting thing and a black rhino they have midden heaps that mark their territory and so they are protective over their dung heaps and as committed as i am to to making gin i just thought that might be a step too far to to challenge a rhino uh, in order to get the, the botanicals for the gin well I just found another reason to stay away from black rhinos. By the way, Indlovu is the name of the brand of gin. The company name is Ibu. That's I-B-H-U. What's that all about? Ibu is a, is a story or note, and Ibungani is a dung beetle. And so the company is a story of a dung beetle. If you're adventurous enough to give Indlovu gin a try, you might find it at your local liquor store. You can order it from the company website, which is ibu.co.za, but also at the company website, you might just find a list of outlets in your area that sells it directly. Les and his company have received a lot of worldwide attention of late from the press about his gin, and he has a theory about all the attention. You know, I think I think it's because it's a feel-good story as well. It's it's a little bit of an unusual story, but it's also a feel-good story. It's a little quirky, but in the end, elephants benefit. And so I think in times, as, you know, as we have had with COVID and now all the political situations when they start getting unstable, people just need good stories, good time stories. And I think this fits that very well. And so once it gets out there, then it gets picked up by news outlets. And it's quite interesting because we can track where it is almost, where it's hitting, because we'll get requests from various countries 
And you can see it as it's moving across the globe. Suddenly it's the United States and, you know, and then it'll be Canada and then it'll be Britain and then it'll be Germany. And you, you start getting these requests coming in. Oh, where can I find this gin? Where can I find this gin? So we, we can map the progress around the globe. I think Les just described this show. It's a little quirky, but with feel-good stories. So let's raise a glass and say cheers to Les and his company. Or should we say, bottoms up. Next time on Business Beyond Bazaar. We'll go to New Zealand to meet Ross Hall, who puts the fun back in funerals. He operates a company that custom builds colorful coffins that are extremely creative. I guess you could say that they're simply to die for. We'll also give you the skinny on father and son morticians from Cleveland, Ohio, who have found a way to preserve your tattoos for your loved ones after you die. Plus, the California sculptor who has created the video-enhanced grave marker. You get the final word forever. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fair Play. Thank you.